Thanks, friends. We continue having a look through Luke. Uh, one of the things I've uh, sort of picked up as I've just uh, been hearing as we read through Luke, you'll notice that, oh, I think it might be the same in your Bibles as mine. I've got a different version. It doesn't matter a great deal. Have you got headings going through your Bible? How deceptive they are. Because they break up each part as separate stories. And we miss the flow. You see, Luke didn't write any of those headings. He didn't even write the verse numbers in for you. They came in a thousand years later. Um, but that's another story. But Luke just wrote. He wrote the stories that had happened that he was putting together because he wanted to communicate something to his readers about Jesus, about themselves. And so as you're reading through this, one of the first things that sort of uh, shouted at me was, why does verse 15 say what verse 15 says in that context? You hypocrites. He's just speaking to the ordinary people. You've got to ask yourself, what is it that's happened around this that means Jesus comes out with that ex exp explanation, uh, so that accusation uh, towards them? What's going on here? A woman's been healed. Good news, you might say. Indeed, absolutely. But what happened in verse 14? After she'd been healed, what do you read there? My, my, mine's a little bit different. Yours doesn't matter. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, six days you've got to labour. Uh, bring people to so so bring the people on the on that on the six days, not the Sabbath. Sabbath, because he Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. What was the d description of that man, the leader? Uh, who was? What's the my, first word in my verse? Is verse fourteen indignant? The the synagogue leader was indignant with the people. With indignant with this lady having been healed on the Sabbath day. You hypocrites, says Jesus. And then Jesus explains his, why he's thinking that. You go and help an ox or an ass on the Sabbath day, but you won't let this lady who's been healed from being bound in, in the issue that she'd had for 18 years. You won't rejoice in the celebration of what's happened for her. There's something going on there, isn't there? What is happening when it means that when God comes and steps into the world and he acts generously with compassion and heals with mighty power and releases someone from a captivity, that they can only be indignant, end up being indignant and told, you're coming on the wrong day. <laughs> Come a different day. You know, you, 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 you get a sense of what's going on here, the feelings that are going on here, you know, and, and Jesus' attitude. He's, you hypocrites! How dare you do that when God has released her on this day? Ought you not be praising God and the situation? So anyway, I find the headings unhelpful. <laughs> but um, that's... It's in some ways we like that we we have the headings there because we can only concentrate a little tiny bit, <laughs> and so it's broken down for us to read because we are a bit lazy.
Nevertheless, let me start. I haven't started yet. <laughs> there's a bit of colour for you if you like or anything. Uh, you might find the outline helpful to follow. Um, and uh, this, this last week, not quite then, but it was a different time, but anyway, uh, we're swimming down in the, at Austin Mere, and the life of Savus whistle blew. And uh, turning, I, I saw some people outside the flags, and I thought, oh, it must be for them. And uh, a couple of waves later, I heard several whistles blowing. Turning, I saw four to five lifesavers walking in the water, coming towards us. They were waving firmly, shouting, come in, come in, everyone. Well, I didn't know what the problem was, but it was pretty clear staying in the water was not the thing to do. <laughs> yes, it was a shark alert. Uh, we enjoyed swimming, but not one person stayed in the water then. <laughs> in fact, when the all clear was given, many still stayed on the beach. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes a severe shock in lifestyle uh, that we've become accustomed to. It may be a heart attack, the onset of diabetes, financial distress. Sometimes we see massive benefits from making a change, uh, and we gladly embrace it, uh, like getting married or a new job, or maybe an operation. However, the older you get, the harder it is to make change in your lifestyle. Uh, one reason you teach yourself to look for and embrace change is a, it's good to do that, to look for opportunities to change. We get so used to sitting in the same place, don't we? It's, it's automatic. Why do we do that? Oh, so I don't have to decide when I'm going to sit next time. And if I'd sit on that seat, someone else might want to sit there or something. Okay. And so there's easier. I oh, know I always know that person sits there at that seat, so I shouldn't sit there. Not that they'll grumble, but it's just the way we are as people. But change is good, even just for change's sake. Why? Because God has called you to be his people and to follow after Christ. If you're going to follow after Christ, that's going to invite you to constant change, to grow more and more like him because you keep confessing your sins and one change you need to be making is to repent from the sins you've just confessed. Or don't they matter? See, if it's not conscious on your mind to think, I need to repent, I need to stop, I need to change, you won't be doing it. Well, we come today then to a most necessary change. It's the change so necessary that Jesus repeats it. His words in verse 3 and verse 5. You might look at them there if you wish. Unless you also repent, you will all perish. The word perish there is serious. It's a long-term, it's a persistent death. Um, the word perish means more than just die, because die, it's happened. It's persistent death. When we hear a message we don't, uh, that we don't like, our natural response is to it, dismiss it, rationalise it. It applies to other people, not me. Uh, the whistle didn't apply to me. <laughs> applied to everyone else. No, 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 it applied to me. Unless you repent, you also will perish. That's not really me, though, is it? We have repented. Uh, I, I've become a Christian. Yes, you're right. But you also confess sin today, haven't you? Repentance must be part of our everyday life. Today's passage in Luke 13 helps to open our eyes on the matter. And as we come to the passage, though, let's pray that God might help us look at it freshly. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, you have written this word for each of us in order to teach, rebuke, correct and train us. Yet at times we find it so hard to want correction. We hate rebuke. So this morning, please set your spirit in our hearts and speak to us. Please do your work in us today, convicting us of those attitudes, behaviours and desires which are so contrary to living by the Spirit. Please help us see how your word applies to us today. Amen. If you're on the outlines, I'm up to the second heading. Who needs to repent? Well, as Jesus finishes speaking to the crowd in chapter 12, some of those present come and tell Jesus some info. Uh, the Roman governor, Pilate, had apparently killed some of the Galileans who'd just offered a sacrifice to God uh, in, the temp- in, the, in the Jewish temple and that. And the, peop- the question on people's lips was, does that mean, because those Galileans died, does that mean they were more guilty of sin than, than of the others in the city at that time? Or how come God just punished them? People at that time saw a strong link between crime or sin and punishment. Sometimes we feel like that. Something bad happens to you in your life. Is God getting back at me? Why does it feel like I've got the rough end of the pineapple in life that's turning up all the time? In Jesus' day, severe trouble only came to those who were especially guilty. Here we see there are two disasters on view. The Pilate's attack and the Tower of Siloam, where 18 were killed. People were asking, how come this happened to them? Were they more guilty than the rest of us? Jesus answered in verse 3, I tell you no. That is the wrong way to see what's happened, wrong conclusion to come to. It didn't happen for that reason. They were not more guilty than other people. But look at his warning. Unless you, everyone, repent, you will also perish. He's speaking to everyone and there are no exceptions and his words could hardly be stronger. They are unsettling, even confronting and threatening. Why repeat the warning? We're not in danger now. Well, we don't hear the warning. When, like when I heard the lifesavers whistle, I thought it must have been for other swimmers, not me. You repeat what's important. Unless you repent, you likewise will perish. It's a message of the utmost importance. For us, as we sit here, as we might say, we don't need, we, we already have repented. I want to say, cast your mind then to the people in the rest of Helensburg who haven't. What does Jesus say in these words here about them? Whether they know it or not. Unless you repent, you'll all perish. And I think part of that is comes to us as a, how do you, do you love the people here in the area? What did Jesus do because he loved? And so we need to ask ourselves, what, what's necessary for me to need, that needs to change, that word again, in my life that I might actually connect with the people in our area and have a heartfelt longing to win them? They may not want to be won. <laughs> that makes it hard for us, doesn't it? But I want to try to, how do I win them over? I'm trying to get to know my next door neighbour. I don't do a very good job at it, I think and it's hard work, but I'm trying to speak to him and get some sense of relationship happening that I might be able to say to him one day, how about we sit down and read the Bible together? It happens, you know, people do it. Um, Yeah, move on. Um, 
so Jesus, we see a parable then about looking for repentance. That's my third heading. Uh, in the Old Testament, a vine or a fig tree I've represented the nation of Israel. And in, in Isaiah, God uses a picture of a fig tree to explain his charge against his own people, Israel. He reminds them of how he carefully prepared the ground uh, for, for a planting. He planted the best fig trees. He watered them. He tended them until they grew. When the time came to pick fruit, there was nothing there. He came and searched. We see verse 6, no fruit on the vine. Three years he'd been uh, coming. No fruit. It's an Old Testament picture of the, old, the ideal life was every man sitting in, a, uh, in his vineyard under a fig tree. Uh, it was a, a picture of you like to drink wine and ju grape, well, grape juice, depends what you're what you going for. Okay, yes, it's a nice drink. You like to eat figs? I love them, right? Yes. Every, so it's a picture of this is, this is what it's good, this is the good life. To be able to sit back, enjoy the fruit of the vine and the tree. Well, but the owner comes and finds no fruit. Disappointment. Like getting on a flight with Qantas just to discover the flight was cancelled. So the question is, why keep the tree? That's verse 7. Especially since the owner's been coming for the last three years, nothing. The tree's using up valuable space, at least, and producing nothing. Unproductive trees, what happens to them? Well, if you're a farmer, they get cut down and burnt. That's understandable. And surprisingly, the gardener gives an appeal for, for mercy, you might say, verse 8. Don't do it this year. I'll look after it better over the coming year. I'll put manure on it, fertiliser, and then dig around it. If no fruit, then, okay, cut it down. Like God had planted the nation of Israel, now looking for fruit, what does he find? Hypocrites. Okay? When he comes looking for fruit. He finds none. He's looked lots of times. No fruit. He's taken the first step then to fertilise the tree to show special attention. The gardener does not want to dig, to, uh, dig the tree out and burn it. He's uh, not without trying anyway and to give it a fair go. But after all the care, he plans to give it. And what is the still no fruit? What will happen? Verse 9. The end, the end is that the tree will be cut down. Judgment will fall. Now, if the fig tree represents the nation of Israel, planted by God, nurtured, cared by him, what will happen if the tree produces no fruit? As the gardener gives the tree another chance, God does not execute immediate condemnation. Do notice that. He provides help and encouragement. He sends his prophets. He sends his son. As Jesus engages with the Pharisees, they know it all and they cannot accept Jesus. There is no fruit on the vine, you see. No, no desire to please God, just impress people so that they get pats on the back. Remember last week we saw that Jesus challenged the Pharisees about their concern for their appearance rather than what was in their hearts. You clean the outside of the cup, inside it's full of wickedness and filth. He called them to demonstrate deep repentance. What did he call them to do? Love justice. Have a genuine concern for the fatherless and the widows. That's the fruit he was looking for. Not people who love praise and adulation from others. But when he looked 
There was no fruit. They weren't interested in repentance. So verses 10 to 17, we see the sad story about repentance denied. He start, it starts well, we read at the Sabbath healing, verses 10 to 13. Uh, the woman's teaching, uh, Jesus' teaching in the synagogue, a crippled woman there, 18 years she's been coming. I wonder if she ever wondered, why am I like this? Why do I hobble in this? I might, you might wonder that about yourself and you'll have issues that dog you one way or another. It's, uh, we're told here, caused by an evil spirit, but it's not, spirit, it's not a spiritual possession, it's a physical issue uh, that's attacking her, uh, caused by the spirit. Probably described this way because all sufferings come about from sin. Uh, Jesus, not that you have sinned, therefore you're suffering, but in the end all, all suffering has come about because of sin. Uh, because that was the sentence when Adam and Eve ate the apple. Well, what, 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 sorry, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Ate whatever it was on the tree, ate the fruit of the tree. Um, that they disobeyed God and the punishment was death. That's why you die, that's why I'll die. Right? Sin, and, and healthy people don't die unless you get hit by a bus. You know, sick people die. You and I get sick. And that's probably going to be the way you'll die, and I'll probably be the way I'll die. Uh, yes, sick. Jesus calls her up front. And with a word, she is healed. Verse 12. Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Goodness. The sovereign Lord speaks, and she is free indeed. Her response is not surprising. She praised who? Jesus? No. The synagogue leader? No. The other people for their thanks and support for her over the last 18? No. She praised God. She recognises she knows where the healings come from. But indeed, in praising God, who's just spoken the words? Who's <laughs> she knows where her healing came from. However, some are not impressed. Here is a mighty work of God, a deliverance from one held in the world of death and decay. And they can't even see it. Verses 14 to 16, the synagogue ruler speaks, and his words reveal when repentance, sorry, when appearance is blind to repentance and deliverance. Instead of praising God or delighting in the healing, he rebukes the people. Come on the other days to get healed, not on the Sabbath. The spiritual blindness is astonishing. It is this spiritual blindness which delights the, uh, in the outward appearance but ignores the heart. The same spiritual blindness Jesus rebuked before. Verse 15 of chapter 11. Some says Jesus has the power to expel demons because he has the power of the devil. By, Beel by Beelzebul he does this, this work. Later in Luke 11, Jesus condemns the attitude of the Pharisees who make so much show about how they polish the outside of the cup, inside it's full of filth. They ignore justice. They ignore the love of God. They killed God's prophets. Now they want to kill God's son. Jesus highlights this so strongly because it's so important. The Pharisees must repent if they are to be welcomed by God. You see, that's still what's driving him. He wants to see them repent. He wants to see them one for heaven. 
despite the fact that they're against him and are so blind and won't even see, recognise him. We see their problem. They should have seen their problem. But why not? Because they enjoy the rewards they get right now. The acceptance, the honour. The sinful nature has blinded them to the reality of their situation. Sometimes our desires, our longings blind us from seeing clearly. Uh, ever found yourself, this is me this last week, ever found yourself buying something and then, but realising you didn't really need it? <laughs> uh, a little bit later you think of buying it again and a desire in you overcomes, keeps growing. My attention keeps going back to that. If I think, if, if I, life would be nicer if I had that. And it's hard to shake it. But I've already got something just as good. Why do I want a newer one? I haven't, re I haven't got sucked in on that one yet. <laughs> but the yearning's there. And it surprises me to see that yearning. I've got it. It does the job. Why do I want to replace it? What's going on in me that has that? It, logic flies out the window, really. I buy what I've already decided I don't need. <laughs> well, there you are. No, I haven't done it. <laughs> ask, me, ask me next week. <laughs> and so what, what Jesus says, we call upon us really to rule over our desires and our longings. We have such huge freedom and power, we find this very hard to want to do. I don't want to rule over my longings. I like them. They sat at... They, I think, will bring you satisfaction. And the Pharisees found it too hard to rule over their love of honour and acceptance from others. And Jesus pushes the point further. Pharisee, what do you mean come some other day to get healed? Today's the Sabbath, God's day of rest. An excellent day to bust the power of Satan. Don't you reckon? Everyone will be here. 18 years she's been held captive and you wanted to wait another day <laughs> and you know what mr pharisee you'd actually rather break your own laws and rescue an ox or a donkey and lead it to water than see this woman healed it, it if you look at it that way don't you almost want to cry this woman is more important than your ox or donkey She's a daughter of Abraham. And how excellent that on the Sabbath day she is set free. Rejoice and give thanks, Mr. Pharisee. I can't see it though in verse 17. They are humiliated, but the people you notice are delighted. <laughs> they can see what's going on. They haven't not blinded in the same way. The Pharisees, for all their longing of acceptance and honour, have missed the honour and acceptance of the one they really needed, Jesus. Even the people can see the situation clearly. Do you notice the way the onlookers responded? There, verse 17 of chapter 13. What's he say there? When he said this, all the opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. I bet they were. On the day that counts, the Pharisees are on the wrong side. They lose. Big time. After Jesus died and rose again, do you remember reading lots of Pharisees became followers of Jesus? 
They didn't remain there. The Lord opened their eyes to see. But it would have made massive uh, change. This is what's happening in their, t- in their life now. Well, there's eyes, uh, Luke has written this for us for today. Uh, so that we may grasp essential repentance. That's my fifth heading. It's the last one. Uh, and which, uh, which Jesus is calling for, that essential repentance. Je- he, Jesus began these episodes talking about natural disasters. His conclusion to his hearers was, uh, yes, natural disasters are terrible, but death will come to us all. Make sure you've repented before you die. His actual words, unless you repent, you also will perish, are the words of God. And the Pharisees show us just how hard it is to see the issues and why they are so blind. Nevertheless, we must wake up to the reality that we cannot save ourselves. We must repent. This life, though it may last for quite some time, is not the answer. There is more than this life to come. The woman shows us that Jesus has the power of God. We must pay attention to him. He and only he can free us from our captivity, the evil one. And at the moment, we're still alive, so we still have opportunity like the fig tree. The gardener will fertilise and dig around it, feed it, nourish it. It should produce fruit next time. What fruit? Well, the fruit God seeks is that we honour Jesus as our ruler, our leader, our captain coach of our life, that we sign up on his team. And so let me ask you, what's your situation? Have you signed up? Or have you said, not yet, Jesus? Hear his words. Unless you repent, you also would perish. If you've not yet come to Christ, he is speaking to you. It's time to come. If you've not yet made a conscious decision to give up living for yourself and live for Christ, he's speaking to you today. God is speaking to you. Unless you repent, you also will perish. Do not be like the Pharisees who end up being so humiliated before God on that day. Come to him today. How? Have a word with me afterwards. Very happy to talk with you about it over a cup of tea or coffee. Many of you, though, here I know have come to Christ. And we call ourselves Christian. We know his death was for our sins. We know the forgiveness that he offers and the life that he gives. The Spirit has opened our eyes to see our sin, our guilt. We're ever so glad that Jesus swapped places with us and paid the penalty that we fully deserve. We also, though, need to repent because we know that sin is still part of our life. It is for me as it is for you. Jesus calls on us to put sin to death. And that's hard. He calls on you to change. But why repent? Why take it seriously? Like the lifesavers blowing the whistle, it's important that you take action. How do we know repentance is important? Well, the death of Jesus shows us that sin was deadly enough. Only he could save us. His death shows us that the punishment for sin is more than you can pay. His death shows how serious sin is, and we dare not mock God. Further, God's spirit in us convicts us that sin has got to go. And so we need to cultivate repentant hearts and minds. We need to recognise that Jesus is Lord of all, 
not just Lord of some of my life, but Lord of all of my life. And I need to acknowledge his rule over my life. Writing to Christians like us, Paul commands us in Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, rage, anger, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And I guess you could keep going. We don't show all our sinful attitudes openly to one another, thankfully. It'd be too embarrassing. <laughs> but our family sees more, don't they, often? No doubt they see lots of love and care. They also see our sin. Put it to death. Our society is built on sexual immorality. Almost every TV show seems to have some sense of some impurity highlighted. Shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Deal or, deal or No Deal, just reveal how, how deep our greed really is. In what ways do you see TV affecting the attitudes then perhaps of your kids, shaping their attitudes and minds and beliefs? Instead of feeding those sinful attitudes to our kids, ought we not be showing them a godly life ourselves at least and our attitudes? A generosity which may mean giving up holidays so that we might be able to afford put use the money for something else. All sorts of things like that lead us to change. Are you happy to change? No, it's always hard. It's always awkward. Let me pray. Father, thank you for revealing to us your brokenness and our need to repent from our self-focused way of living. Please give us a heart and a desire that would seek you to live for you in this world. And thank you so much for showing us the devastating effects of sin and the total deliverance that Jesus gives us. Amen.